Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! A few weeks ago, we talked about the danger of, of making choices out of fear, and that's a, that's a very tempting thing to do, but generally speaking, making a decision out of fear is a, is a terrible choice to make. This week, in a similar vein, we're going to look at making decisions out of impatience. Uh, we're in the book of Genesis, we're in part three of Genesis, and we're looking at this journey that these two people, Abram and Sarai, are on. There's a lot to learn from them because they're incredibly imperfect people. They make some terrible decisions, and then sometimes they bounce back, and they make really good decisions. But what we're going to see is this is very much a journey for these two. We're going to see the consequences today, and I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to, like, not understand what's happening in this passage today, because what is going on, what is announced today, is something that is still causing a problem 4,000 years later. Right? Abram lived roughly 2000 BC, and so what is going to be said today, you're going to see on the news as being a problem today in the world that we live in, and it causes people a lot of stress what is happening in the Middle East, and it's all announced and talked about right here in this. Because again, these fear driven, these impatience driven decisions can have real consequences. And so we're going to see that today, but we're also going to see that. God's promise in the midst of this, even though it's kind of set aside by Abram and Sarai, and they're like, look, I don't know, I'm not going to be patient. I'm not saying we can't go after stuff and go get it. But what I'm saying is these two, they totally disregard the plan of God, the promises of God, and they just say, you know what, we're going to do whatever we need to do to get what we want. And that is such a dangerous mindset. And so when we read Scripture, you should always know, one, a big emphasis of mine, just how I think, is what does it say about God? Like, what does it say about my life? What does this tell me about the world around me? Like, what can I learn from what I'm reading? And so that's what we're drawing out of these people that have been preserved for us. Not because they're perfect, but because sometimes they're a total train wreck. And there's just so much to learn from them. So that's where we're going to be today. We're going to be in Genesis 16. But over these weeks, though, what we've seen in these two is very much a journey. So for one week, we saw Abram completely completely doing his wife wrong. Like, he literally just gave her up to Pharaoh so that he could get a good deal for himself. Sacrifice his wife to another guy so that he could make out on top. Now, three weeks after that, we saw, man, one event after another, Abram was like, okay, it's like he learned. It's on a journey. All of a sudden, he's doing the right thing. He's making brave and bold choices in the right direction. This week, we're going to see both he and his wife totally crash totally wipe out on their faces because of the decision that they make. So again, a journey. It's up and down, much like us. There's a lot that we can see in ourselves and we can see in these people. So our question to consider for this part, part three of Genesis that we're in, life is a journey, our question to consider, just to make all this personal for you, is how is your faith in God growing in the journey of life? Right? Whether you're here, whether you're watching, it may be like, man, I'm on top of the world right now. I feel like I'm doing so well. And other people are like, I don't really have any faith. I don't really know what to think about any of this stuff. Some people are like, I'm kind of, I'm on, I'm on the rise. I feel like I'm doing better. And then sometimes people are like, I'm doing so well, I'm just waiting for things to fall apart. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I just, I know it's coming. And it's like, you know, we can get in that mindset sometimes, right? 
But how is your, your own journey doing as we watch their journey unfold? So today, the consequences of impatience out of Genesis 16, a formative chapter for the Bible and for us today. So let's jump in. So Abram's wife, Sarai, had not borne any children for him. Now, this is, the, this is the issue for them. This is, like I said last Sunday, this is their impossible. This is the defining issue for Abram and Sarai, and it's why we know their story largely, because he believed God, that he was going to give him this promised child. And so the problem then is, what if you think God is going to give you something and he doesn't? That is the issue at stake here, and it's what's causing so much tension for these two people. Because the evidence in front of them says, well, we don't have it. And there's probably no way we're going to get it. And when we start thinking that way, when we start having that scarcity mindset, that's when we can make fear-based decisions. That's when we can start being driven by impatience because I need to have this now without consideration for anyone else. And that's what they do today. I talked to somebody recently. Uh, she wants to publish a book, and the book publisher wanted too much money. And, uh, and just very openly, uh, this person told me, well, hey, uh, they're going to charge me this. I don't want to pay that, so I had the books ordered somewhere else because I'm going to screw them because I'm going to get mine. It's like, I don't know this person that well. And then they just told me because this is how we do it. This is how things operate in our culture, right? Because I don't want to miss out. I'm going to make sure I get mine. So there's, like, there's a mindset that exists that we need to be aware of, that, this, that whether it's fear that can drive that kind of stuff or whether it's just being selfish, which I do too. I make different kinds of selfish choices or you know, impatience, whatever that thing is. Like what drives us to do these things, man? It's like, come on. If you're a follower of Christ, man, like especially, like, come on. Like, why are we doing this? But again, that's, there's the tension. What is our thing? So they don't have any kids, but their plan unfolds. She owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar, probably what they picked up in, like, not what, but their, their time in Egypt. Well, I should say not they, what Abraham got while he was in Egypt. As he got rich, as he sacrificed his wife, this poor woman, Hagar, as we're going to meet today, probably a part of that exchange. So she's got this slave, and Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, Dot, dot, dot. It's interesting. Just last Sunday, chapter 15, they get the promise. Specifically, I'm going to do this for you. But here she is. And again, notice like what happens in our own hearts when we don't get what we think we have coming to us. Like we can go to a really hard place pretty quickly. And all of a sudden, rather than like, I'm going to trust God for this, he's the one that won't let me have it. And she's getting angry and she's getting bitter. And that's like starting to take root inside of her. And like, what is that doing to our soul when we find our place, stuff in that place? Because it's like, where's the faith? Where's Abram's faith? Because you're going to see in this little scene here, he's not sticking up for God. He's not like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, God's going to take care of us. Like, it's, it's going to be cool. He's got us. He's not doing that in this scenario. He's just kind of like, mm, silent partner, watch. And so you have these two people in a very... Very precarious position here because they're going to, like I said, they're going to start making decisions that are going to affect us. So, the plan. She takes Hagar, in verse 3, the Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land for ten years. So, the plan then is go to my slave, have sex with her, have a child because culturally that's what happens like that was an okay thing and the problem though is there's a lot of things this is four thousand years ago there's going to be a lot of things that are not good are not healthy or just outright sinful and bad and our culture is like well just do it 
Like, where does that land in your life? When everything around you says, may just do it. It doesn't really matter. Certainly what God thinks. And I don't really know what he thinks, but I know I need to get mine. So I'm going to act this way. I'm going to say this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take advantage of people. I'm going to do things that, man, I just know aren't right because at the end of the day, I need mine. That's what you see developing in these two here. But just because our culture says it's okay, it doesn't mean that we should. Because these two people right here are totally destroying the beauty of what marriage is supposed to be. They are a married couple in this covenant relationship, and they're just like, well, our culture says that if I own a slave and I can't have kids, any kids she has are now my children. That's, that was a culturally acceptable thing to do. And it's like, okay, we've been waiting 10 years, so I guess God's not going to do it, so we'll just do it our way. Right? Again, the tension of this. And so they just kind of throw everything aside because all they can see is what they want rather than what God is doing in them. And here's one of the most hard things. If you're, like, if you're not familiar with what Christianity really is all about, like in faith and all that, it's like it's so hard, whether you are familiar with it, it's so hard to be in those moments when you don't know what's going on to say, Lord, I trust you with this, even in the tune of 10 years. I just don't know what you're doing right now. And God's like, oh, but I want you to know, I, I want you to trust me. I'm in this. I promise I'm doing something in you that's even bigger than what's in front of you. But that's what they're struggling with. That's absolutely what they're struggling with. So 10 years, though, they've been there. And imagine, I just want you to put yourself, like, in the mindset of Hagar. Here's this poor woman. I don't want you to, under, like, I don't want you to underestimate the horror that this poor woman is going through. You shouldn't try to defend, by the way, as a side note, you shouldn't try to defend biblical characters. Sometimes your critique of the Bible can be like, man, some of the people that are in there are the worst ever, to which I always say, man, yeah, I agree. They are the worst but what's cool is that God works in the midst of this and these people who are crazy and perfect and make really bad choices, and yet God just keeps showing up, as we're about to see here in a second. Some of these people are so powerful because of how deep into the depths of sin that they went and God brought them back from it. There's always like a redemption side of anything that you see in Scripture. I love it. And so this is one of the bigger ones that you see early in Genesis. So, verse 4. It happens. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. This little act right here, this little scene right here, is going to wreak havoc for 4,000 years. For 4,000 years, this decision of theirs, like we read with Brittany, don't lean on your own understanding. They were leaning on their own understanding and doing it the way that they wanted to and the way that their culture said was okay. This right here is an event that's going to begin to divide. Because if you don't know what this event is going to start, is the beginning of two different lines that still today are traced back to this event. Because she is going to have, Hagar is going to have a son, which we're going to see in a minute, named Ishmael. Ishmael is where everybody that, and broadly speaking, in the Arab world, but more specifically, those that follow Islam, they trace their heritage, sometimes their ethnicity, back through. And on the other side of that, the unborn Isaac, who is not in the story yet, he is going to be, with Judaism and Christianity, that's who they are going to trace their spiritual lineage and sometimes ethnic lineage back through. And so the conflict you see happening in the Middle East is starting right here. And in just a few verses, God is going to say specifically what is going to happen as time unfolds. And so this is a really, really huge event that's happening right now. And it's just like, again, it's just like, oh yeah, and then she became pregnant. But when God's going to grow your faith, it's going to take patience, and they are not willing to do that. 
So the story unfolds. So when she saw that she was pregnant, Hagar, her mistress, Sarai, became contemptible to her. So now it's not just the beginning of these two lines. Now immediately the seeds of hate and separation have been sown right here. There's this, and this again, this is still today an issue. This like us versus them. You guys aren't the pure line. We are. It's like, and then the, the, the things that have happened because of this. Because of this choice that they're making right now. So Sarai then says to Abram, in light of this, you are responsible for my suffering. It's like hard stop. Like this was her idea. And now that Abram, like again, he just, like Adam and Eve, was just like, okay, he just went along with it. And look what this decision is now doing. The hatred that is now between these two women, the hatred that is starting to develop now, like this anger and this like just conflict between Abram and Sarai. I won't say hatred, but conflict that's being developed between the two of them. And again, this woman right here, this she should have known better. This same thing happened to her in Egypt just a few chapters ago. And here she is now doing it to Hagar. And then this like again, this hatred that's developed. So this decision born out of impatience and selfishness, has now completely imploded on them. You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave, so she like she owns it, I put my slave in your arms, and when she saw that she was pregnant, she says, I can't, became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between you and me. It's like, those are very strong words. That Sin is a very tempting liar. And this is a theme you see a lot in Genesis. That's why it's important to think thematically through the book of Genesis, because you keep seeing this. I'm going to circumvent God, and I'm going to get mine in any way that I can. Some of the most well-known stories that come out of the book of Genesis have that as their undergirding principle. I'm going to circumvent God in his wisdom and his goodness, whatever. I don't care. I'm going to get mine and then fall out and then things that happen. So it's just like, again, incredible lessons that keep coming back up. So how's Abram reply, right? Does he stand up and do the right thing? He says, well, here's your slave. She's in your power. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. And I wonder, again, when you step back and you look at these two people, it's like how callous can these two people be to do this to this woman? There's some people, like I said earlier, that are in the Bible that are terrible, terrible people. There's some people that are good people and make terrible, terrible decisions. There's sometimes people that are terrible and make really good decisions. That's one of the most powerful things about the Bible. Again, because it's like God steps into all of this, and you see his goodness, you see his patience, you see how we are as people, and that God just doesn't quit on us, which is unbelievable. Sometimes his patience runs out, certainly. But he just says, look, do what you want, and then she runs away. So these stories are not preserved for us. These people are not preserved for us so that we can emulate them. That's a misunderstanding of Scripture. These, these stories and these people are preserved so we can learn something from them. And now we're going to see God's patience step into this scene. So verse 7, very interesting person is introduced into the biblical narrative. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness. A spring on the way to Shur. So directionally, she's going back to Egypt. Hey, God doesn't know anybody here. So for all intents and purposes, she's going to die on this journey because she is a now pregnant slave woman who is going off on her own without anything, and she's going to try to make her way all the way back down to Egypt. 
So this is the death sentence that Hagar finds herself in. So I just don't want us to miss that. But then there's the question of like this angel of the Lord. I didn't know this for a long time. I just kind of just read right past this. But the angel of the Lord, I remember years ago being introduced into this particular person in the Old Testament, is not just an angel of the Lord. It's not a single, just kind of random, like Gabriel or some other angel. Whenever you see the angel of the Lord found between 50 and 60 times in your Old Testament, it's speaking about somebody very specifically. And a lot of people think, scholars, theologians think, that this is what's called a theophany. That this is like a pre-incarnate Jesus showing up. Because whenever the angel of the Lord shows up, this person is always speaking as if he is God. Which is a very interesting thing. So what I mean by this, and if you go to Exodus chapter 3, when Moses, and the, a lot of people are familiar with the burning bush, right? Moses sees the burning bush, he's like, oh my gosh, and he starts talking with God. The only problem is, what we're introduced to in that story is it's the angel of the Lord that's speaking to him. And yet it's God speaking. He's recognizing this character as being God. So when you see the angel of the Lord show up, he's very often, he's speaking as God. So it's very, again, what, what does that matter? Well, who shows up? with Hagar. That's, that's why I'm saying this. It's not just some rando angel. Like, this is actually God himself in a very personal and intimate way showing up to this poor woman in a way that is, uh, is safe, revealing who he actually is. And so when the, when the angel Lord shows up, very important things are happening. And so, like another example out of Exodus, trying to take that idea a little bit further. So God promises that his very presence will be among the Israelites. So from just a few verses after what we just read, and yet it's the angel of the Lord we see in chapter 23 that actually is going with them. So a very important person in the Old Testament. Now, if you like connect this to Jesus, like, well, where's the connection? So Old Testament, the angel of the Lord acts as a mediator, always, between God and humans. And Jesus specifically is given that title in the New Testament, that there is one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ, out of 1 Timothy 2. Another clue that we have that, you know, again, this is kind of, I'm like 80% sure, you know, like, but... So we don't want to die over this, but it does seem like this is who this angel of the Lord is. He acts as the word of the Lord, literally the word he is speaking as God in the Old Testament. And then Jesus, of course, in John chapter 1, is known as the word of the Lord. So I say all that, not to like inundate you with too much information, but I say that because this, what's about to happen in this next verse is really important. It says something intimate and powerful about God and about his care for this poor woman, Hagar, who's just been used and abused. She has no worth. To these two people, and she's been cast out. And yet here, Jesus himself, it seems, is showing up for the very first time this person is introduced to us in the Bible. It's in relation to Hagar. So there's something very interesting about that and what it says about God. Because she's got nowhere to go, nothing to do. And he says in that, in verse 8, he speaks right into that. Hagar, slave of Sarai, like he recognizes her position. Right? He knows. He says, where have you come from? Where are you going? And she replies, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. Now, if you're walking slowly through this passage and you're really thinking about what this poor woman has gone through and why in the world would God say, now I need you to go back to that and submit to her authority, because this scene right here is going to happen again in Genesis 21. This is not the last time they try to do this to her. And yet God says, I need you to go back and submit yourself to her authority. She has to trust her life 
in the midst of the results of somebody else's sin that's adversely affected her. That's a big ask for God to say, I need you to trust me with this. These people mistreated you, but I need you to know that I've got a plan for you too. That doesn't mean, I want you to hear me, if you've been abused, that God is saying you need to run back to that abuse. That's not what this passage is about. I don't want us to interpret that and, and hear that. This is something very specific in time, and him saying, look, I've got, a, I've got a promise for you too. You are part of the promise that I said to Abram, and I said, I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to take care of those people that are in your circle, Abram. And now he's saying to Hagar, I need you to trust that I'm going to take care of you too. And it's really, really hard to say, all right, Lord, I'm going to trust you with the results and the fallout of somebody else's sinful impatience, right? And so to be like in that moment, like, man, what can we learn from that? And to say, Lord, sometimes I just, I have to trust you in this, even though I don't know where this is going. But then he fleshes it out for her. It's not just some empty, open-ended promise. He says to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring, and they, like I said to Abram, they will be too many to count, which we know historically has happened. The angel of the Lord said to her, You have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. Or in Hebrew, literally, I've heard your cry of misery. So Ishmael means God hears. So very specifically, he's saying, I want you to name your son this because I hear you, Hagar. I know what's going on. This is an incredibly painful moment in her life, and he steps right into it. And I also wonder, when she goes back, how big of a gut punch is this for Abram, the man of faith, the man of righteousness? It's like, I sent my slave out to die. She has this incredible encounter with God, and God tells her to name her son God Hears validating what is going on to her and what she's feeling, and then she brings that back. It's like, I would think, a slap in the face from God. Like, yeah, what you did to her is awful. And I hear her plight because what you did was terrible. So the journey for Abram and Sarai is a long one, and they have a long way to go. All this journey, they're, they're so far into this journey still, and, they're, and they're, they're messing up. And they're making these selfish, harmful decisions. So, Again, this is where the descendants of uh, Ishmael would go. Like, right? So you have the, again, broader, broader speaking, Arabs, more specifically, those that follow the Islamic faith. The, like, this is where, this, and now we're mounting up to it. Because this is where God explains what's going to go on. Verse 12. This man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will settle near all his relatives. It's just interesting to, to note that God is saying right here, 4,000 years ago in Genesis, he's like, look, this is going to be a man of conflict. There's going to always be issues between him and others. It's like, there's going to be, like, it's like God is saying, the decision you make is going, to, is going to echo in ways that you have no idea. And so this right here, again, is a setup for something that, even in Genesis later, in Genesis 37, you see this, he gets, so one of the sons of the promise, Joseph, gets sold into slavery by his brothers, and who buys him but the Ishmaelites, this guy's descendants, buy him and they take him back to Egypt in an irony that I'm sure was not missed by those people. So, because Hagar is Egyptian. So it's like this, again, this echoes to today because it's a pretty solemn warning, I think, for what we see around us. So here's what I get a lot, a lot of times from people and what I see, you know, online and stuff like that. It's like, what's going on in the Middle East? What is going on in Ukraine and with Russia and now China and, you know, potentially Iran and Syria and Jordan and Egypt and all these different places, all these players that are in the Middle East? What's happening? 
Pastor Kyle, are we getting closer to the end times? Well, it's not yesterday, so yes, right? So yes, but what we see unfold in the biblical narrative, and here's where you like, here's where it's like, it's a double-edged sword because there's part of it, it's like, okay, don't freak out because God's been talking about this literally for thousands of years. Like how these things would start building up in that part of the world because it's going to be set up in such a way that the entire, well, not Middle East, but the entire part of that world, it's going to be against Israel. God said this is part of his plan and that that is going to be something that actually brings his people back to him. And it's talked a lot about in the Bible. So it's one of those things like knowing it's going to get worse can be like, oh my gosh, it's going to get worse over there. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, God said it would. But that there's a purpose in it. And God's not gone. It's not out of control. But God did say there's going to be this buildup in that part of the world. And so some of the passages that you could go to in the Old Testament and New, and again, there's like a lot, but I just thought, okay, here's like a smattering. Ezekiel 36 through 38. If you're curious about what's happening in that part of the world, Ezekiel wrote uh, five or 600 years before Jesus, right? So he's 2,500 years ago uh, from where we sit now. And he kind of gives us this picture of what's going to happen in that part of the world and how it's going to unfold and how will, that, how will this war resolve. And it's like, it's very interesting to watch build up happen there and see what's happening now and what's happening then. Romans, the Apostle Paul writing to Christians in Rome in 9 through 11, he says, okay, now that the church is here, now that Christianity is a thing, well, what about the Jews? What about Israel? He talks at length about that, the plan still ahead for the nation of Israel spiritual nation of Israel. Galatians 4, Paul specifically addresses the lineage of Hagar and Ishmael, and then Sarah and Abraham, and then on down through Isaac. So he compares and contrasts these two lines. So even then, there was this huge divide that was felt 2,000 years ago. And then in the book of Revelation, this is where you see a lot of this stuff unfold. And a lot, you got to remember, in the Bible, a lot of it is still with a focus on Israel. There's still a lot going on in God's economy and God's plan with the nation of Israel. So when you watch the news and you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on over there? It's like, yeah, some of this stuff is absolutely like part of what's been talked about for a very, very long time. But it's all going somewhere. And the pur- purpose, so if you want to know how to pray for Israel, obviously pray for peace. Like, obviously pray that these people will be able to get this figured out over there in that part of the world. But also kind of back in mind, your mind, know that this conflict is intended ultimately to bring them back to him. Like, they need to realize they need their Messiah, Jesus. And this is spiritual Israel. I'm not talking necessarily political Israel. So that's where it gets tricky. There's a lot of overlap there and conflates it a little bit. We need to know that God said that there's going to be a buildup. There's going to be some pretty intense things happen. But the whole purpose is that there's going to be this bringing back. That's what we see in Scripture. There is going to be this bringing back of the nation of Israel, spiritual Israel. So just know that as you're watching the news and you're seeing all this craziness happen and be like, okay, God's got a plan. I don't know what's going on, but he's got a plan. Kind of a double-edged sword, though, you know? Like, we know it's going to go down, but there is a purpose. God's still got it, all right? So, I just, that's kind of a side note. But the important thing to know about this, though, that, again, is, like, God is in this. And he says, specifically, to go back to the verse, it's like, he's going to be in conflict constantly. However, this, like, where that takes her, verse 13, where that takes Hagar, so she named the Lord. So there's this change of names here. There's this exchange between God and her, right? Ishmael, God hears. And then she says, all right, so he's going to name the one that spoke to her. So specifically, what that means is the angel of the Lord in this scene, the first time he's recognized, is that he is God. She's talking with God. She's recognized by God, and now she wants to name Yahweh. So what she names him? 
You are El Roy, which means God sees. For she said, In this place, have I actually seen the one who sees me? That is why the well is called Be'er Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It's between Kadesh and Bered. Now there's a world of theology in these two names right here because Ishmael and El Roy mean God hears and God sees. So in the midst of this, and here I, w- I know some people watching here in the room, whatever, need to hear this. In the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of when you don't have any answers, you've been done wrong, you've been backstabbed by people that should know better, that should care you, should care for you, whatever that thing is, it's like God's stepping into this story in such an intimate way and possibly in a way that's like a Jesus before Jesus kind of moment. For him to step into this and say, I hear you, and I see this pain. The hardest part is, well, why didn't God just stop it? And for that, I have a very simple answer. I don't know. I don't. It's one of the hardest parts of being a pastor is to sit with people that have impossible questions that have no answers and just to say, I don't know. But I love you. We're going to walk this out. And I know God hears you. I know God sees you because that's the evidence we have in Scripture. It's the evidence I have in my life. Man, but to live there, none of us want to live in that space. But it's still a truth that we need to know that God steps in specifically in these kind of stories and says, look, I hear you. Look, I see you in this. Because what we know, what I've seen in my life, what I see in Scripture, what I see in people's lives that I absolutely love and look up to, is nothing. Nothing is wasted if God is in the picture. Nothing is wasted in your life. If God is actually in the picture, there is still a reason. God is still there. God is still for you, even if it's like the world is against you. I've just seen that in my own life, enough to know that it's true. It's not just fairy tales. They're not just stories. It's like this is, I see this in people's lives that I love. I see this, again, like I said, in people like today. Never waste a good crisis, right? What I also see out of Hagar, and this is something else in line with this stuff right here that maybe somebody else needs to hear, is that Abram and Sarai and the selfish decision that they made essentially tried to strip the self-worth away from Hagar. You know what I'm saying? So hear me out on this. These two people that were to care for her and look after her, they stripped her of her self-worth, or at least they tried to. And then God shows up and he says, absolutely not. Nobody can take my fingerprints off of you. Nobody. But we live in a world that's constantly trying to strip away our humanity. It's constantly trying to strip away our worth. And we're defined by things like our kids, or our jobs, right, or our health or what we drive, or what neighborhood we live in, or a million other things that don't matter. And it's like, don't let anybody ever, ever, ever take the fingerprints of God off you. So here's where it lands. Verse 15, Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, and Abram, in fact, did name his son Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar was born to Ishmael, or Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Now, this is such a short note this last closing verses here, these two, on a story with huge implications. Huge implications for us here 4,000 years later. But the important thing to walk away with, what we see is a double-edged coin, right? Or two-sided coin, rather. What we see in this is God has the same message for two very different groups. One, Hagar. The other is the promised couple of Sarai and Abram. 
And he's going to say the same thing to both of them for very different reasons. So what I see coming out of this story is God's like screaming this on this next slide. He says, look, I see you. I hear you. And then to both of them, settle your impatient heart. So let's, how does that apply? Let's start first with Abram and Sarai. He's like, look, I know you don't have a child. I know you don't have the land that I promised. I know you can't understand how I'm going to do this. But I need you to stop your impatient heart from doing stupid and sinful and harmful things to people in your life. Again, I'm not saying you can't get after it and go after your goals and go after your dreams. That's not what I'm saying. What you see here is them making completely selfish decisions with absolute disregard for this poor woman, Hagar. So he's like, yes, I see you. I hear you. So stop. On the other side, Hagar, right in the midst of her pain, he's like, I see you. I hear you. So in your situation where you think, man, I'm literally going to die, I want you to know. I want you, Hagar, to settle your impatient heart. And I need you to trust me with this. No matter which side you find yourself on, this is a hard, hard, hard lesson. This is a hard thing to live out. To know that God sees us, He hears us, and be like, all right, I need to settle my impatient heart. I need to step back from this for just a second. But man, there is such powerful stuff in the pages of Scripture, in these people that have been preserved for us, not to emulate everything that they do, but to learn the lessons from their lives that are being almost screamed at them and at us. So I want to end before we started today. What Brittany led us in this morning in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Let me just read this to you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not easy. Do not rely on your own understanding. Impossible sometimes, it feels. In all your ways, actually know Him. Know the one that sees you. Know the one that hears you. And He will make your paths straight. Man, great wisdom out of Proverbs, but so, so hard to live out. But this, this is, this, this is the, man, the beauty and the power of what we have in these people. The things that we can learn from them. Think about your own home. Your wife, your husband, your kids, your job. Man, like, just being able to step back from decisions that you're about to make because you just need to get yours. What's best for you? Or if you've been wounded by somebody else that is doing that to you. Man, it's powerful. Let me close. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I personally, this has been a journey for me as well to think through these things. And I just ask you, Jesus, to, to help us to know that you see us to know that you hear us. Lord, if, if, and if it needs to be done, Lord, I pray for anybody that's watching or here that you'd help us to just settle our impatient heart, Lord. Help us just to be aware of what's going on and, and your presence in it, Jesus. That's the hard stuff of life, Lord. But I pray for strength for us that are just knowing you and in relationship with you. Lord, would you help us? And would you let anybody that, again, listening, watching, whatever, that doesn't know you yet, that's still in that journey, would you help them know that you do see, you do hear, Lord. And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And his church said, amen. It's great seeing you guys this week. I love you. That's all we got for today. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. 
For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.